Welcome back to the Coaches Rising podcast. I just had a delightful conversation with today's guest, Muriel Wilkins. Today, we're going to be talking about the importance of contextualizing our coaching, the pitfalls of coaching within a vacuum, that actually we want to be knowing what's going on in the coach's world, speaking to their colleagues, their superiors, their subordinates. So really bringing the coaching outside of just being isolated with the coachee, how do we contextualize it? Uh, I think Muriel's got a lot of really important things to say about that. We'll talk about Muriel's journey from being a rookie coach to coaching high-profile CEOs. And we'll really get into the way that Muriel coaches. What is the real focus or real concern of her coaching? Muriel is the managing partner and co-founder of Paravis Partners. It's a C-suite advisor and executive coaching firm. She's the host of the Harvard Business Review podcast, Coaching Real Leaders. I really recommend checking that out. And she's the co-author with Amy Sue of the book, Own the Room, Discover Your Signature Voice to Master Your Leadership Presence. One final thing I'd like to say is if you want to check out what we're doing at Coaches Rising, you can head to coachesrising.com and you can see all the online trainings we have there. Coaches Rising, we are deeply passionate about creating leading edge coach training programs that empower the world's coaches to to play a role in these challenging times. We care deeply about transformational coaching. You can also join our community by putting your name in the sign up box you find on the homepage there so you can stay in the loop about everything we create which is not this podcast so with that all being said let's dive in here is the podcast with muriel wilkins muriel it's great to be with you uh how are you doing today first of all i'm doing great and um really a pleasure to be here with you as well joel yeah yeah totally um just gives a sense of where you are in the world as well it's quite nice to locate people yeah, absolutely. So I'm here in Washington, D.C., um, where it felt like summer last week, <laughs> and today it feels like late winter. So, uh, but yes, I've been here in Washington, D.C. for quite some time, and I call it home. Nice. So we got that going on here, too, actually. It's kind of, yeah, bizarre weather swings. Right. Um, I'd actually like to ask, to begin with, if you could just share a little bit about who you are, like, what are you up to? And, uh, you know, like you've got um, different kind of projects you're involved in, which are really cool, Paravis Partners. And, um, yeah, you know, you've also got a lot of coaching uh, online for people to access, which is really awesome. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, what are you up to? Yeah. Oh, my gosh, that, that feels like a really big question these days. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm assuming you're just talking about the professional part. <laughs> Right. Well, we might we'll get to the other stuff. I mean, yeah, that would take weeks um, to unpack. So what am I up to? I mean, my main focus, uh, as it has been for almost the past 20 years, is uh, the business that I, I, I run with two of my business partners, which is called Paravis Partners. And we are an executive coaching and leadership development firm. Um, and so I spend probably about... Uh, 50 to 60% of my time working with clients directly. Uh, And most of my work is done coaching mainly C-suite level individuals um, or individuals who are leaders of pretty scalable, uh, large size businesses. Um, And then the other part is, is spent running the firm because we're a team of close to 25 coaches. And so uh, just running all the aspects of the business um, and managing it. So I sort of play the hat of both being a firm leader 
as well as coaching leaders. Um, so that is my main focus, uh, my main profession, <laughs> you know, where I make what I make a living from. Um, but I also have always tended to be somebody who needs to have creative outlets um, and to have hands in, you know, other activities that I'm doing really because there's no specific outcome towards them. It's just, I enjoy the process. And so from that standpoint, uh, I'm also uh, working on a podcast that I've had for, we're now in season five, a podcast called Coaching Real Leaders, which I don't even know how, well, I know how it started. I just can't believe we're at season five. Um, and uh, and so I do that with Harvard Business Review, where I coach individuals uh, on specific episodes on topics that they're dealing with. Um, and that's been really meaningful and fulfilling in terms of doing that work. And then what else? Gosh, um, I have a community of coaches and leaders that really folks who are fans of the of the podcast. So it's called the Coaching Real Leaders Community. And we get together there and do live debriefs of the episodes. Um, and I also do a live Q&A so that if people have issues that they want to talk about, um, whether it's as coaches or whether it's as leaders, they can do that in that forum. But that's really a collective uh, in terms of the uh, the support that's given there. So I'm sure I could go on with a lot of other things that I do, but that's that's the, my main focus right now. Amazing. Yeah, I, I've got so many questions uh, to ask about each of these. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe first we can, I, I definitely want to talk to you about your community, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'll bookmark that, but I'd like to first ask you about the work you do with C-suite leaders. And um, I'm just wondering if you could give us a sense of the kind of coaching you're doing with C-suite leaders. I think many of the listeners are interested in yeah, what is it? What is it like to be coaching C-suite leaders? What kind yeah. of things are you doing with them? What kinds of um, moves do you make with leaders? So, yeah, maybe you could give us an overview of that, and we might zoom into some parts. Yeah, of it. sure, absolutely. And so, first, sort of, let me set context. Um, I've been coaching for almost twenty years now, as a like in terms of actually being an executive coach and having clients, um, not just coaching as a way of being. Um, and so I, I was not coaching C-suite leaders, you know, 18, 19 years ago. I think the types of leaders that I am now coaching are just sort of reflective of my evolution as a coach. Um, and I'm very clear that I did not have the capacity to coach C-suite leaders when I first got started. So I it, it's not as though I tracked it carefully to get here. It just, again, just sort of evolved and I went with it. Um, in terms of what I'm coaching them on or what the coaching focus tends to be, I would put these leaders in two different categories. One category is the quintessential onboarding. Um, so, or it is before they get the C level position. So they are preparing for it and it is imminent, right? It's it's happening in the next couple of years. Um, they are either in the succession plan, they've been uh, named heir apparent, um, and it's to help prepare them for that, that seat. Um, or they just assume that seat and I'm there to support them in onboarding, usually for the first year, um, in helping them make sure that they are able to take on that role in the most effective way possible. Um, and so a lot of that it requires a shift in how they work, 
Uh, it's their first time scaling at that level, um, meaning leading at that level. Uh, and so helping them and supporting them in terms of what it's going to take to be able to do that. How do they communicate not only with their employees, but now a huge piece of it is what's their role vis-a-vis -vis the board. Um, sometimes they are for a public company. So there's a whole investor relations piece of it that they didn't have to deal with previously or didn't have to deal with as intensely. Um, so there, and, and sometimes it's a privately held company. I also work with some companies where it's a family held business and, and the CEO is the, the, the child of the previous CEO. And so that's a whole nother dynamic in and of itself, particularly if the parent is still present, right? Um, so there, there are a lot of different dimensions to it, but this onboarding piece is definitely one category. The other category, um, is more what I would call, uh, really just CEO support in that out of all the positions, and this is again, particularly with my CEO clients, even though, you know, it, it also, I do coach people outside of the CEO role. I coach them in C-suite positions like CFO, CMO, whatever you want to call them. Um, but with CEOs in particular, it's not that there is uh, an onboarding component. It's not that there's a behavior that they need to address. It's not that they're fine in terms of they're doing the work. They just want somebody objective uh, who has no skin in the game. They can process what they're going through, um, almost like a sounding board, right? So I'm not there to consult. I'm very clear. And I'm a former consultant, so I can consult out the wazoo, <laughs> right? But I'm not there to consult. Um, but I'm really there as a sounding board for them. Uh, in a way that they can't have with other people because other everybody else has a skin in the game, whether it's a board member, whether it's a, 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 a one of their staff members, whether it's uh, even somebody external, a friend. Uh, so they'll have all those people to rely on, but I they kind of see my role as being somebody who can be really objective and who really has no has nothing to lose or gain by what it is that they do. Nice, nice. Do you, one question that comes up is how relevant for you is it to know their context? By that I mean, you know, like um, to be clued in about the the you know the ins and outs of running a, a business, of being a CEO, and the complexity of that role. You know, of course, um, if that's all we did, maybe we might be more consultancy. So, like, how, how much do you? How much context do you need to know, and how much? pure kind of coaching are you doing? I mean, that's not the right way to put it, pure yeah. coaching, but um, you know, how much is the coaching just about who they are as a person and their, their yeah. identity and the struggles they have? Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. Um, so my approach to coaching is very contextually driven. Uh, so I think it's, uh, you know, one of my mantras is personally, I, you know, with no judgment as to how other coaches do it. But for me, I don't like to coach in a vacuum. Because my, I see my role is in helping my, you know, I say my leaders, but my clients, I, I, I see it as helping them be as effective and as successful as they can be and as they want to be within the context that they're in. And so that context is, is multivariable, right? The context is the company, the context is their family, their context is wh however they define context. So it is important for me to understand what's happening beyond the individual 
not so that I can go and fix, you know, a bunch of things outside of there, but so that I can understand, you know, almost their system, the system within which they operate, rather than look at it from the perspective of the system within which I operate. Um, and so what does that look like in tactical terms to the extent, you know, I'd say it's the exception, it's it's more the rule than the exception that with every leader that I coach, I do talk to people that they work with. Uh, and I do have, you know, I, I conduct interviews and, and I check in with those individuals and engage stakeholders pretty heavily. Um, sometimes it's even outside of work. I've had clients who've had me interview their spouse, you know, or their partner, um, even their kids or their parents, um, just to, so that it is holistic and I understand what's happening uh, as I coach and it helps inform the coaching. Um, and then there's the side of like, I think context wise, I think one of the things that enables me to coach at this level is that I do have a really strong business acumen. And so that's regardless of, of the individual that I'm coaching, uh, but just because of my background and I think the skills that I did gain from being a strategy consultant, I think I do have an ability to sort of ramp up really quickly in understanding how that their business works, what makes it tick, what the economics look like, because at the end of the day, that's what they're responsible for. Um, and at the end of the day, it's for them to be able to be the best leader that they can be so that they can also get results, you know, through their people and, and for the board and for the investors. And so I feel it is, uh, I coach better if I can understand the context, not just in terms of their worldview and their systems view, but also in terms of the business that they're running and what makes it tick, because they're making decisions about that business every day. And so if I don't know what the output is, then how can I help them in terms of helping inform what their input is? Yeah, nice. And uh, I wonder, because you said you had a community as well of coaches mm -hmm. around around the coaching uh, that you do as well, that's, mm -hmm. that's public. And um, what advice do you give those coaches around this topic? You know, do you point them in certain directions? Do you invite, do you say, do you recommend that they they actually contextualize their coaching and they get they get wise on on um, running a business? What, what, what kind of decisions yeah. or things does a CEO encountering? Yeah. yeah, I mean, Joel, it's really interesting because um, I'm very clear, even with the podcast and the, the coaching that I do on the podcast and then this community that is really not just coaches, but listeners of the podcast, I'm very clear that like, how I coach is my way of coaching, but in no way am I ever saying this is the way coaching should be done, <laughs> right? Um, it's what I've developed for myself, having learned from a ton of other coaches and from experience in terms of what works for me. So as, you know, one of my favorite um, Peloton instructors says, he says, you know, I make suggestions, you make decisions. So I, I, I don't hold steadfast to like, this is the way it's going to be. But in the community, when they ask questions, you know, and they say, oh, I'm coaching somebody, one of the first things that I'll ask is, and, you know, they'll raise an issue is I'll ask it. I said, well, what is like, what's happening contextually, right? What if, you, if they're struggling with one of their team members or with engaging their employees, what are their employees saying? Like, what's the employee's perception of this? Because this is the way that we can then tie intent with impact. Your client might think the impact is X, but the people on the receiving end are experiencing impact very differently. So how, and what I might see is the impact is different. So the only, if my client wants to make an impact on their employees, 
I've got to understand what impact means from an employee standpoint. I can't guess. I can't base it on what the impact is on me. So I do suggest to coaches, if they can, to get something outside of the room, you know, outside of just the one-on-one coaching so that they can really help their leaders be effective within that business or within that company, rather than just generically be effective as a leader. Yeah. And do you feel, you know, if I was to like, do you feel that that's where it gets real in a sense, you know, like, do you think there's a danger, I guess, in if it's not contextualized, if you don't bring some views from outside the room, then the leaders kind of, they're not, they're not trapped in their own bubble, but, you know, they're kind of, they're going off their own intentions and perceptions. And, uh, you know, like you say, it could actually be pretty different out there in terms of the impact they're having. Yeah, I think it, I think that there's a risk. You know, I think that there's a risk that not only the leader gets trapped in their own bubble, as you said it, but the coach gets trapped in their own bubble, right? Like it just becomes this, I call it, you know, just a nice conversation. Uh, But you can do that anywhere. You don't have to be in coaching to have a nice conversation, right? Like you can have coffee with a friend and have a nice conversation. If you're looking for making decisions and understanding what it means to be a leader that to to have certain results and the results are outside of yourself, right? Then you've got to go figure out what that looks like outside of you. Now, if if I have a leader who, you know, all they want to work on is something like really tactical, you know, and I, I can't, I'm like, struggling with even coming up with this because it doesn't happen these days for me, where it's like, look, all I want to work on is like the tactical pieces of time management, right? And like how I do my calendar and this, is that. In those cases, yeah, I don't need to go out. You know, I don't need to understand what's happened contextually. But even then, right, even then, I, I've had situations where I have a leader that wants to work then and I'll be like, okay, let me talk. Who's your admin? Who's your executive assistant? Because they're the ones who are managing your calendar, And there's some disconnect around how that's happening. So help, let me talk to them because they might be able to shed some light as to what's really happening. It's a way of increasing the awareness because a leader only has as much awareness as themselves, right? Uh, That's the self-awareness. But if their self-awareness is capped and I'm only experiencing them in one way, which means my awareness is also capped. All we're doing is increasing the capacity for awareness by bringing in other inputs. Yeah. What, what, um, what's influenced you to work in this way? Uh, you know, we could even actually bring in you know, your own evolution. You mentioned that. Mm-hmm. I think that's really interesting. I do want to go to, like, what are some of the common themes you're working with with these two mm-hmm. types of coaches, uh, coaches you described? But mm-hmm. what, what, what inspired you to uh, contextualize your coaching mm-hmm. in this way? So I, I think it. I, I think there are a number of variables that informed me. I think um, one of them was just by the way that I even got into this work. I, I was in an executive seat. I was looking for a coach over twenty years ago, and part of what troubled me, or why I was having a hard time finding a coach, is I felt like yes, they would understand kind of all the leadership theory, and they had all the best leadership frameworks but none of them really got what I was doing, right? They didn't get what it was like to sit in my seat. And so there was this business context that that was missing for me. 
And so when I decided that I wanted to start my own business, which is what came first before I decided to become a coach, it was more, I want to start my own business. And uh, one of my, um, somebody that I know said, why don't you become, because I had been sort of venting about not being able to find the right coach for me. And they said, well, then why don't you become a coach? And I was like, what? They're like, you keep complaining about it. So maybe there's a need. And so I really started coaching, hoping to bring the best of both worlds, right? Strong business acumen with strong leadership development expertise. Um, and so the, it, it, I just started off this way, which understand, have, making sure that with my clients, I understood what was going on, uh, you know, not in depth, in depth, in depth, but like had, a, had enough of an understanding of what was going on outside of them. So that was one. I think secondly, very early on um, in my coaching, I had uh, in my coaching career, I had the fortunate experience of being what was then called um, Marshall Goldsmith Partners, um, which was his one of his first kind of you know cadre of coaches. And as you know, as I'm sure a lot of coaches know, Marshall Goldsmith, you know, all of it is about you know a, a huge part of his coaching is about stakeholder engagement. Um, and so I learned from that, that whole stakeholder centered approach um, and saw how powerful it was, you know, for being able to move the client. A lot of the, a lot of that coaching was around behavioral uh, change. But I really what, what I um, what I found really helpful is that in being able to bring in stakeholders, not only did it enable you to create measurable results for the coaching, it took the coach outside of it. So again, it wasn't that the coach becomes this wise guru, you know, that's just providing advice and suggestions. It, the coach really becomes sort of a facilitator. And I use that word loosely between the leader and the rest of the organization. Um, I also found it really powerful that not only did it increase the awareness of the leader, but it helped engage stakeholders in whatever the leader was doing. And so that then created, you know, you could almost take yourself out of it as a coach at some point where it became this engagement between the stakeholders and the leader. So, and I, and I found that it worked, you know, it, it, is it more complex? Absolutely. And I, and I do think that um, some stakeholder engagement can be really tricky and um, you probably can't be like a purist as a coach, you know, um, sometimes to be able to really sort of do the contextual part, but I think we all operate in systems. And so coaching to me is more effective if it's done within the system or at least aware of the system. Exactly. That's what I'm feeling is that, uh, yeah, it, it, there's a, if you de decontextualize the coaching it's happening in a vacuum, it's not mm -hmm. recognizing that, you know, the relationship between people and the system is actually probably where the juice is really at you know that's right and, that's right and yeah um and and, and that, yeah it sounds like then you're like you're actually leaving the system in greater health hopefully you know because you're actually bringing attention to those relationships mm -hmm. and that's going to actually improve the whole system in of itself you know so there's a kind yeah. of wider net effect if i yeah, no, absolutely. And and I mean, you know, even at a, at its most crass levels is one of the things that I tell my clients is, look, you know, we're, if, particularly if they're working on something where it's a change within themselves or they're trying to create a change 
with their teams, let's say, I said, you know, the worst thing that can happen is you put all this work into this coaching and nobody sees it because people are stuck on how you were doing things a year ago. So by engaging them, they're coming along for the journey. If they say, right, like I have a client right now who's dealing with, which is one of the topics, right? Like, what does it mean to have flexibility in the workplace these days? And, and uh, you know, it, part of it is, well, let's hear from them. Like, how are they defining flexibility, right? And that way, if you're going to make changes or if you're going to make them, if you're going to move the needle towards the direction that they're going in, they now have skin in the game. They've said, this is what flexibility looks like for them. Rather than you just sitting in some office, potentially with me, right, trying to define what does flexibility need to look like for this organization, go ask your people and, 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 and at least use what they have to say. It's, a list, it's really a way of listening, you know. Um, and and engaging them in a way so that what they're doing as a leader is impactful, not just for themselves, but for everybody else, where there's an opportunity to do, do so. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Yeah. I want to ask you also about your, you said like my evolution. I'm just curious, mm-hmm. you know, of course we could talk about that for a long time too, but yeah. were there any key moments for you that allowed you to step into that authority I don't know if that's the right word or gravitas mm. or confidence. I don't know what word you'd use of, of coaching uh, C-suite executives. Um, wow. Um, I don't think there were any sort of specific moments. I think one of the things that I have held true to myself um, and it's it's hard to believe because it kind of goes against the grain of I think how most people view me unless they really really know me um, is that I, I I really have just sort of let things happen organically, and for somebody who you know was sort of born a Type A overachiever, well I don't think I was born but conditioned to be a Type A overachiever, um, it, it's kind of the antithesis. But I actually think it's what's been very helpful to me. So. And that's been in everything, Joel. Like, you know, I get people ask me, oh, my gosh, like, how did you how did you make your 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 book happen? How did you make the podcast happen? How did you even get your firm to be where it is? How did you get to work with CEO clients? And I'm like, I didn't. It's very interesting because as I think about it, like I didn't push for any of those things. They just sort of organically happened. And when the moment happened, I said yes, when I felt it was time to say yes. So example, I know this is not about coaching, but like the book that I wrote with Amy Sue, um, you know, Own the Room 10 years ago, we we were contacted. We didn't go looking for it. You know, somebody contacted us because they had read an article that we had posted um, and or a couple of articles that we had started posting, and they an agent contacted us and said, "Hey, have you guys thought about writing a book?" And we were like, "No, not really." But you know, and and so that's the type of thing. So with even my coaching clients, you know, when I first started coaching, my first couple of clients, they didn't pay because I didn't feel right to go ask people to pay for something that I was brand spanking new in. So now I picked those clients very specifically, right? In terms of the types of people I would like to coach. 
And then it went from there. We have never as a firm even done any marketing. Everything has been word of mouth, organic growth, by the way that we find our coaches to the types of clients we have. And so this evolution, I think, with CEOs, you know, I remember the first CEO client that I got, but it was that one, it was a small, you know, little, I think it was like a nonprofit organization, 30 people. So I was like, okay, like this is, this is great. It's a CEO. I'm like really happy that I'm coaching a CEO. But it was calibrated to what my capacity was. So in a sense, I sort of look at my evolution um, as a coach very similar to kind of like adult development theory. Um, And I also think it has followed my own personal growth, right? Like the way that I have evolved over time. And I, and I definitely, I'm reminded every day when I coach people that my ability to coach them is also reflective of my own personal growth and what I'm learning outside of coaching about myself and the work that I'm doing on myself. And that the deeper work that I do on myself, the more I grow my capacity to be an effective coach for the clients that I have at that moment. So I really feel like I attract the clients that I'm ready for. Okay. And and I can also tell when I've said yes to a client that I wasn't ready for. And I knew I shouldn't have taken that client. (laughs) No, but I did it for other reasons. And I'm very quickly reminded. Yeah, this isn't it, right? This you're not that this shouldn't have been. Um, but now I'm in it. So what's the learning? You know? Yeah, yeah. There's something there about that kind of that fit that we can feel in our lives where there's a resonance, you know, it's like, ah, mm-hmm. oh. and then you can you can also feel when it's not not the right, you know, you might yeah. you maybe intellectually you go, wow, this this would be great for me, but uh, yeah, and what 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 practices are you uh, engaging in or have you engaged in that you feel are like helping you deepen yourself? Oh my gosh. Um, (laughs) I mean, Joel, where do we start? Right. Like I'm 52 and I feel like it's been 52 years of practice, you know? And so it, it grows, um, it grows all the time or it changes all the time. Um, I, you know, I have had coaches myself. I'm a believer in coaches having coaches. Um, so I've have had a coach, I've had therapists, um, I've changed therapists over time, uh, and coaches over time as I've, you know, expanded. Um, so for example, you know, I'll just be really specific. Like there was a time where I had sort of more of a, a therapist slash slash coach that was very into like mindset. And then I realized at some point that I can like you know, I I I it, I I heard it spoken about a couple of weeks ago as cognitive bypass, where like you know so much, you can kind of run circles right. around the <laughs> around the yeah, and you kind of abstract yourself out of your experience. Exactly, exactly, yeah. right? I'm I'm like an expert at doing that. Um, and I realized, oh my gosh, okay, so I actually think my next work is more somatic, and so then I sought out, you know. Now, when I choose somebody to work with, I research the hell out of them, right? Like I, I ask people and it's very well vetted, but I then chose to work with somebody who was who who had the strong cognitive um, background, but also had the somatic uh, piece to it. And that just took it to a whole nother level. I read a lot. 
I read a lot of books. I have way too many books that I can read. You know, I think I'm a, I think I'm a, I, I think I have a book purchase addiction. Um, I listen to a lot of different podcasts and they're not always the regular, you know, the ones that you would think, like there's some that I choose that have nothing to do with leadership. Um, I probably read more non-leadership books and listen to more non-leadership podcasts to help inform me because to me, it is about it, you know, leadership to me is a way of living, right? And so if I don't understand life, how can I understand leadership? The business part is the easy part for me, right? But it's more around like, how do you, I remember when I first um, went to coaching school, I went I went to the Georgetown program uh, years ago, and I'm going to date myself because I, I was in cohort 10. And I think now they're like on cohort, God knows what, a hundred something, who knows. But there was one of the faculty ne- members who, you know, um, sadly has passed away, Neil Stroll. And I remember on that first day, he said to all of us, he said, this is about who you be as a coach, because you're going to help your leaders figure out who they be as leaders. And I was sitting there like, what? Like, what's he talking about? You know, what do you mean? First of all, that's grammatically incorrect. (laughs) I'm like, who you be as a coach? Who you be as a leader? Like, what is like, no, like, this is about getting tactical. But fast forward to now, I get it now. But it's because I had to do the work. And so around the being of leadership while still holding all the tactical pieces. So I read a lot. I listen a lot. I practice in my own life as much as possible. Um, Much of what I, you know, when I do advise my clients, much of what I advise them on is stuff that I, you know, espouse by, but it doesn't necessarily mean I think it's the way. Um, But I practice a lot in my own life. Um, and I think in the, over the past couple of years, probably the biggest, um, you know, one of the biggest game changers for me has been, uh, more seriously, um, diving into and more authentically diving into mindfulness and understanding, um, what that really is for me. You know, I've played around with meditation for a long time, but I, it was playing around. I didn't really get it. I don't know if I still get it, but whatever it is that I am getting uh, is is much different in my and and helps in my capacity to coach in terms of being in terms of being authentically able to hold the and um, and more and more um, being able to hold a non judgmental space for my clients. You know, um, and that's something, you know, it's not just for my coaching, like I'm trying to practice that forever. It's tricky, right? Yeah. It's tricky. I, I was sharing with my community yesterday. I was saying it's tricky because people often want me to want me to be able to say whether something is right or wrong. And I'm at a place where I'm like, yeah, do I think the action? I'm at a place where I can say, you know, personally, I think that's wrong. And I can understand why the individual did what they did. A lot of people don't want to hear that, <laughs> you know, um, especially in times today, you know. So, so the practice to me is every day, you know, it's every day. And I mess, you know, not mess up, but like I don't live up to my aspirations 99% of the time. 
but I've learned that like, I've embraced that that's where the learning happens. So I, I don't carry any like shame about it anymore, you know? <laughs> yeah. So it's been, it's been a lot of, it's been a lot of self-work by necessity, Joel, you know, like yeah. life happens and then you're like, you know, I'm either gonna, um, I'm either going to keep doing things the way that I've been doing them, or I'm going to change something. Let me change with myself and, and you learn. And then that carries over to the culture. Yeah. It's a really rich response. Um, I, if, if I wonder about the, this thing you said about aspirations, you know, for mm -hmm. me, I'm in a beautiful inquiry or challenging inquiry around that myself around how do I hold the, and I think this taps into what you've been saying too, like the, the aspirations I have for myself, you know, which mm -hmm. are important in my life. And at the same time, I feel like these times, especially are, are, are like bringing up a lot of, you know, unresolved conditioning from my past. Mm -hmm. And, 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 you know, I'm a, a father of a younger daughter as well. And, and, and all the ways that I fail and there's something very humbling in that, but also deeply mm -hmm. transformational and human. And, and it feels like as a collective, we're in that, that phase perhaps, and that there's something about, and this is where it, I, I wonder what you think about this. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when I was younger, I had these maybe naive, uh, there was a naive way I held my aspirations and goals and vision. And, mm -hmm. you know, what you, and, and now I'm much more about, well, actually dropping a change agenda with my client and being where they are. And actually uh, uh, um, something starts to begin to unfold then, which uh, you know, couldn't have happened if we were being too strategic about mm -hmm. deploying a process. And it reminds me of what you said about the organic way that your life unfolded. It's like it wasn't it wasn't random mm -hmm. yet, and yet, like you weren't pushing for things, the book or your business. And there's something yeah. about like a it unfolded in this way that's probably far richer than you could have ever have. Yeah. I mean, look, and believe me, I have resisted that notion for a long time, you know, because my ego, Muriel, is like, this is what I want to have happen. And I'm, damn it, I'm going to make it happen. <laughs> but that has not served me well. It's caused me a lot of, even if I make it happen, there's so much tightness and like holding on to it. Um, that it's probably what's caused me the most pain in my life, right? Like it, just personally and even professionally, like holding on to the agenda so tightly. Um, and I think where I am now is it's not ran. It's not like, as you said, it's not like I'm just like, oh, whatever happens, happens, you know, just go with the flow. I have no idea what I'm going to be doing tomorrow. You know, it's, I'm not like that at all. I think where I am, which is, a, you know, really a wisdom teaching, is but in in business terms if you want to call it in concrete terms it's look yes have the aspiration create the goal define the outcome and then hold on to it but loosely don't be so attached to it that you then can't see what else is going on you know or you can't see that other opportunities might come up or it destroys you if that outcome is not what unfolds and I think, you know, I mean, this is the whole notion of non-attachment, right? And, and you know, a big distinction for me as an individual was understanding what, like, being detached from the outcome or, or the whole notion of non-attachment doesn't mean not caring. Those are two very different things. 
And so there is this looser. Again, it's not that I don't, you know, I have teenagers and I'm this when your child gets older, it's a huge practice in that because every day they are looking to detach as they should, right? And it's, okay, how do I still guide and care for them, but in a way that doesn't sort of hold on to them so tightly that it stunts their growth? And why would we do that? It would be all for the sake of us, for our own. So there's this sense of like not defining ourselves so much by the outcome, you know, by the coaching agenda, right? If a client, and I think as a coach, the big test is that one client that completely fails, right? Fails, that doesn't follow through, that doesn't make the meetings, that cancels all of you all the time. How much do you identify that to your worth as a coach? Right. I mean, you might have contributed. Everything's co-created. You might have contributed it to some extent, but you also have to let that client have agency and own their stuff. And so it is a constant dance, but I think it's very reflective of the journey that we go through in life as well. Yeah, totally. Totally. I mean, like a question I have, and this could be part of it is like, I wonder what themes come up with your coaching clients? I mean, I know that's probably Mm -hmm. very broad, but, Mm -hmm. you know, what are some of the common things you're helping your CEO clients do? And maybe this is one of them, you know, that we just... Yeah, Yeah, I mean, so what we've just been talking about, um, none of them come to me with this. (laughs) 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 They just don't realize. I mean, like, I I realize, you know, for me, and I don't have an agenda to take them there either. Some of them get there and some of them we stay at the service. I really believe in meeting people where they are. I really do. Um, not how they are. I think that's a very, diff- you know, that's a distinction that I hold as a coach in general with people. Nobody is who they are. It's where they are. Because where shows movement, who is like, this is your identity and you're stuck with that identity. So I'm always like, this is where they are. And I, my job as a coach is to meet them where they are. Okay. And then try to figure out where they want to go. Now, when we tend to get to these types of topics is when they try all these things and they're not getting anywhere. And so then we start introducing, I'm like, well, like, like how, like how stuck are you on this outcome? That's what it sounds like to my client. I don't talk about attachment. I'm like, how stuck are you on this outcome? You know, we, I had, I'm going to give you an example. I have a client that I worked with last week and he was talking about how he was mad. You know, he was upset about something that one of his direct, and this guy's a CEO, one of his direct reports did, um, but it was like really small. So it was kind of one of those, he came to the coach and was like, I'm, a, I'm a, he is self-aware enough that he has this tendency to nitpick. So he came to the coach, he's like, I want to talk through this because I kind of want to like take this guy, you know, like talk to this guy very sternly about this thing. But I'm also aware that like, you know, you've done some coaching around like picking your battles, but I feel like this is a battle I want to pick. But I kind of hear Muriel saying, really, is that a battle you want to pick, right? So what came out of that conversation that I could have never planned is he said, you know, but like, I think the reason I do this is because it gives me a reason, like the reason I pick on my direct reports, even at the most nitty level, is because then when they do something wrong, it reconfirms my notion that I can't trust them. And so I look for things to be wrong. And I said, and how does it mean? And I said, so what does that do for you? That like you carry this notion that you can't trust them. 
he said it, 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 it like creates distance between me and them. That way, when I have to make a tough decision, it's easy. Now, there's no surprise. This guy has huge turnover on his team. He like works through people. You know, it's like every, every couple months, somebody's moving on. Okay. We were then able to get into a conversation about attachment, right? And attachment theory. And he became intrigued. He was like, well, what is that? And so I explained it in like a five minute term. And he was like, oh my God, like, can you send me some books about this? And so he like texted me over the weekend. I'm reading this book called it. He's like, this is all over my life. I could have never planned that, nor did I want to, but it's what evolved for him. So I never go in with like, this is a client where we need to work on detaching from outcomes. The types of issues they tend to come with um, and that I focus on is how do you scale as a leader, right? Like how do you go from leading at uh, at uh, 30, you know, 30,000 feet altitude to 100,000 feet altitude. So that's a big one, okay? Um, how um, there's a lot right now around just employee engagement and keeping people motivated. I think particularly with intergenerational leadership where, you know, my clients at this point tend to be sort of the same generation that I you know, I finally caught up where they're like either my age or younger than me. Usually in the past, they were all older than me. Now they're either sort of similar age or younger than me. But the ones who are similar age and me, we were brought up differently. We were motivated differently, right? And so they're leading people of a different generation and they're struggling. They're resisting with how to lead. And so part of it is moving through that resistance. Um, I think there's definitely been a lot of clients who are, um, struggling with sort of some, you know, crises that are happening in their organization because there is so much more agency with employees, with the Me Too movement, with the Black Lives Matter movement, with this whole discussion around equity. They don't, they've never faced this, right? And it's a little risky for them to go out and talk about it in public because, and, and, you know, some of them struggle with like, I don't, I don't know if I'm saying the right thing, the wrong thing, blah, blah, blah. So like, Getting them in a mindset or helping them be in a mindset where they can deal with these new complexities um, that they just never have faced before. And when they went to business school or when they were coming up and being groomed, it wasn't part of the conversation. Uh, and then and then there's just sort of regular leadership hygiene, right? Like communications and, um, you know, managing relationships with the board or managing relationships with their team, um, being able to align their team, sort of the regular leadership, you know, one-on-one stuff um, that it's helpful for them to just have somebody to kind of walk, work through, okay? Mm. Um, so that's even at a, you know, I have a client right now who's a new CEO, but is mandated by putting a new strategic plan together in that first year. So we're working through that. I'm not doing the strategic plan with her, but as she's going through that process, um, you know, talking about how does she do that uh, in a way that really engages her board, uh, which is going to be critical for her success. So those are the things they come in with. But then underlying it for some is the deeper work. But I'm very clear as a coach, I don't go looking for the deeper work. And I think a lot of, as coaches, a lot of us are like, you know, we love that deeper work hit, you know, we're like addicted to the deeper work. And I question coaches around that because is the deeper work, that sense of fulfillment you get from the deeper work, is that really in service of the client or is it in service of your own ego? You know, is it in service of showing your own worthiness? 
Um, and, and I, you know, I, 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 when I see somebody and I say, what kind of work do you want to do as a coach? When we interview people from my firm and it's like, I really want to do the deep work that's deeply transformational. And I'm like, you don't get to pick that, right? If, if they're ready to be a transformational leader, then that's where they are. But again, going back to adult development theory, not everybody gets to that transformational. We, we would love to, but they're not all there, right? So I, I do always encourage coaches and encourage myself, why are you doing this work? And if there's any hint of, ooh, it's that, that feeling it gives me, you know, when I'm able to do this with a client or when a client does this, I think you now have gotten your story a little too intertwined and you ought to check it because that's not in service of the client from my perspective. Yeah, no, really beautifully spoken. I remember one of my early coaching mentors, Doug Silsby, calling me out on that, you know, and mm. he was like, oh, you're into depth, you know, but, mm. uh, you know, you're going for that. You've got a bias towards depth. And, mm. um, you know, actually, I think the way I hold it now is it's like um, meeting them where they're at is the deeper work. Exactly. It, it, because that's where what they need. Yeah. Like that's you said, you know, need. you're serving them in that moment with what where they're at and what they need. And mm -hmm. as opposed to imposing or projecting something upon on them. So yeah, yeah. And that doesn't mean, you know, you meet them where they are while still holding the capacity for what they could be. But if they're not there, don't push them towards that. And again, I go back, I learn a ton about coaching. Um through, you know, as I say, uh, I don't feel like I'm raising my kids. I feel like I'm ushering them as they go through the, you know, I'm just like, and my, my position as their usher has changed over time. Now I feel like I'm the, you know, I used to be the, 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 the front singer in their life. Right. Um, and now I'm the backup dancer is the way I see it, you know, for the cheerleader, um, uh, always there, but the presence towards them is different based on what they need. Uh, in order to get to where they want to get to. And I don't think it's any different with, you know, with a coaching client. And it's a privilege to be able to do that, right? To like be an usher. Um, it, so you meet them where they are and then holding the potential that there's many different seats that they can go to, but you sort of help them see what those seats are, but ultimately it's their decision, right? And they're not any better or worse for where they end up. They just aren't. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. And what what's guiding you? And this might be a you know a difficult question, but because you've named all these different themes that you meet, uh, and and actually I'm I am interested to ask you about some of them. Um, and I might do that in a moment, but I'm also curious because you said like I don't have an agenda and meeting the client where they are. I'm just curious if what what's what's guiding you when you're with someone, you know, like, yeah, like, are you listening or tuning in a particular way for something? I, th I think I, I think I do listen um, quite a bit. Um, I do create hypotheses, which I think which is different than like an assessment. Right. A hypothesis to a hypothesis to me is a loosely, again, loosely held assessment. Um, and I check in with them a lot, right? So when we start, when I start off with a coaching engagement, I'm, I'm asking them, what, what is it that you want? Like, how are you defining success? 
And I don't make judgment on it. You know, if at any point they we get to a place where like hmm, maybe their goals are set too low and they're feeling it, we might talk about that. Um, but they, I provide, I think, some framework every step along the way for them to be able to make choices. So, and the first one being, what do you want out of this coaching, coaching engagement, right? Here's a framework for how to think about it, but you you need to decide and own what that is. And so the listening, the asking the questions and the providing a framework with options is what guides me as a process. And I think that last piece is really critical because I think as coaches, we get a ton of training on listening and asking questions. But I remember when I came out of training, like I thought I couldn't ever like suggest anything to my clients. <laughs> you know, I was like, I'm just supposed to sit and like listen and ask good questions and miraculously my client will come up with the answer. I don't, again, not a purist, like I don't necessarily think that's true. I think sometimes they need some guidance um, and some choices. Now, what they decide is up to them. So I see as a coach, I definitely see part of what guides me is giving, you know, I'll use this term with you. I wouldn't use it with my clients because they would be like, what are you talking about, Muriel? But I, I see it as like giving them agency. And to me, agency is your ability to have choice. Well, you can't have choice if you don't know what your choices are. And so I, I always say to my clients, look, let's just come up with different scenarios right? What are your different choices? What could you be doing? And we run through them. And I might say, oh, here's another choice you have. And then we, and then the coaching is really around like helping them choose which path to take, okay? Um, with holding a framing for them to understand that no choice is permanent, right? So this is where we get in. They don't know this, but the philosophy behind that is a philosophy of impermanence. Nothing is permanent, right? that things can change, change is okay. Uh, so there's a lot underlying it, but the language that I use with them is very grounded in language that they understand. Um, so that's what I think guides a lot of it for me. So, but I don't, I don't use a lot of like, here's, you know, here are the three sort of, you know, Harvard Business Review frameworks that I like apply in every given situation. Um, I think I just listen and then based on that kind of go where I think we need to go next. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I imagine you encounter, and maybe we could, you know, as we move to the end of our conversation, just touch in with like, you know, one of these, like, how do you scale, you know, like when, when you, when a leader suddenly is, you know, uh, responsible for a, a larger mm -hmm. uh, organization or aspect of the organization, um, but um, I'm imagining that that like sometimes when people are looking at choices, that's coming up against their identity, really. Like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there might be dilemmas between certain choices or certain choices they don't feel like they're allowed to have or, mm -hmm. you know, their thinking just stops at particular boundaries, you know, and that there's mm -hmm. a choice just beyond that they don't see as possible. Mm -hmm. I, I, do you encounter that? I'm just curious how you how you're working with that kind yeah, of absolutely. Um, I mean, I think sometimes it's like small choices and sometimes it's bigger choices, you know. And again, I think this goes back to Joel, what we were talking about is, uh, you know, I'll, I'll sort of say, I'll, I'll reflect on this sort of personally. I see choices in front of me all the time, right? And when you see it, it's actually harder, right? It can be harder 
you see the choice in front of you and you're not quite ready or want to make that decision. It's a little easier not to see the choice at times, right? <laughs> like, so I think with my leaders, it's see the choice, see it clearly. It's okay. And if you're not ready to make a decision, then you're just not ready to make a decision. Or if you don't want to go in that decision, then you just don't want to go in that decision. That's not the, that's not the choice you're going to follow. And um, enabling them, I think this is where sort of the inner identity work comes in. Um, a lot of my leaders, because like me, you know, they're like these type A achievers, you go with what, you know, you think is right. There's sometimes there's a little bit of shame that they might feel in not picking a particular route or not, you know, having a specific conversation or not picking the job or not, you know, whatever it might be. And I think it's getting them or, or helping them get to a place to understand that the only reason you're, you're uncomfortable right now is because the choice that you're making is not aligned with what you thought it would be. Because if you thought that that's, if it was aligned with what you, how you thought the world should be, or if it was aligned with what your expectations were, there would be no discomfort here. We wouldn't even be talking about it. It's still a choice. You're still making a choice. It's just aligned with what you thought. So a lot of it, you know, I see if you were to like ask me like, Muriel, what drives you to do this work? You know, all my work, whether it's my coaching clients one-on-one, the podcast, the community, the book, um, anything that I do. It, for me, it's it's the way that I have figured out how to help people um, just lead with a little bit more ease, with a little less suffering, with a little less frustration. And my belief is if leaders can lead and live with a little more ease, it'll have a ripple effect, right? Their employees and the people they touch and the impact they have, everybody who's in their space, their families will also experience life with a little more ease. And by ease, I don't mean like financial ease and all that. I'm talking about inner inner ease, right? And so the choices are real that they have to make. But sometimes, again, it goes back to like, they're so tightly held to one choice or they can only see one choice that it causes, a, you know, it causes unnecessary ants. Um, so I don't even know how I got to this answer. It's a big yeah. question, but um, but but you know, I, I just think that they. I see my role really at the end of the day when I can look back at myself and say, Muriel, did did you bring everything that you could to that coaching engagement to, or to that coaching meeting? It's did I create a space, provide the tools, provide the frameworks to meet the client as they are or where they are and to help them see what choices are in front of them. Because once they can see the choices, then we can work on where do you want to go? What choice, if any, do you want to make? And it's all tied to outcomes and what they want, right? So a big piece of it is them defining what it is that they want. Yeah. Yeah, I really, uh, really appreciate this, actually. Yeah. You know, like um, uh, it's actually having me reflect on the choices I'm uh, sat with in my life, you know, mm-hmm. either ignoring or not. And so 
Uh, I, I've just really enjoyed myself. We, we're going to bring it to a close here, okay. but I've just thoroughly enjoyed being in your company, Muriel, and yeah. um, really appreciating uh, your passion and your your obvious uh, wisdom that you've gained from from these years of coaching oh. that you've been sharing <laughs> with us. So, um, yeah, <laughs> take it. <laughs> yeah, I do. Thank I've been you. thinking about wisdom recently, and it's like, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you know, as a byproduct of of like being in a certain profession for for 10 20 30 years you know mm-hmm. and and repeatedly coming back and so yeah um yeah i'm hearing that as you speak so so thanks yeah. so much no, thank where can you. we find out more about what you're up to yeah so oh my gosh so many places so um uh if you want to find out more about my firm it's paravispartners.com um and then you're, there's also a murielwilkins.com out there that has all of my work uh, and if you want to hear my coaching in action, um, you can follow the Coaching Real Leaders podcast, which is a Harvard Business Review podcast, but it's available on Apple, Spotify, all of the, the podcast streaming services. And we're in season five right now, um, which is really exciting. And I think so in total, we probably have at this point 24, 25 different, maybe even more episodes of real, like real people. Um, not actors who are being coached by me on some, you know, really relevant topics that uh, leaders or emerging leaders face today. Nice. I really recommend people to check that out. So I'm, yeah. I'm sure people will be inspired to do so. Thank you, Joel. Yeah, thanks, Muriel. Here we are. We're at the end of the podcast. Just a, a heads up again. If you're not on our mailing list and you want to stay in the loop about other things we create, then head to coachesrising.com. Put your name in the sign-up box there. You'll also find some of our other offerings, our online trainings for coaches there. And just want to end by wishing you well, and I'll see you again next time.